Thanks for tuning in to our broadcast this week. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church in downtown Winona. This week's broadcast is a little different than usual. We'll start with an Advent reading done by the Mortimer family. The Advent wreath is a wreath that holds four usually purple candles around the outer edge and has a white candle in the center. And it's a way of marking time during the season that we prepare to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus. So we call this season Advent, and it's a time where we prepare our souls for the arrival of the Lord. Each week we light another candle uh, in the Advent wreath until the Feast of Christmas when we light the white candle in the middle, the Christ candle, as a sign that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is born into a world of darkness. After that, I share some reflections from this week's lectionary texts, but they're a little shorter than usual. So since we had a little time for the radio, I've also added in a brief message from the first Sunday of Advent last year when we decorated the church through our hanging of the green service. I pray that either or maybe even both of these short messages is a blessing to you as you begin to prepare your soul for the arrival of Jesus the Christ. It is a grand understatement to say that 2020 has reminded us of the brokenness of the world. Advent acknowledges the brokenness of our world, but does not focus on it. The subject of Advent is God, and the tense of Advent is the future. The pain of this world makes us uncomfortable and leaves us longing for something better. Advent is the season where we acknowledge that we are longing for something better and that God can be trusted to do something about it. We wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. We prepare our hearts to celebrate when he came to us born of Mary a Virgin. But we also but we also orient our hearts to expect him to return in power and glory. We wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We wait in his strength to make to make us blameless. God is faithful. God will be faithful. Listen for how what God will do in the future in a focus of Paul's introduction to his first letter to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians 1, 3-9 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus, Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Come Lord Jesus, heal our hearts and heal our world. We are waiting for you. Prepare us and keep us ready for your arrival. Amen. Good morning. It's actually uh, afternoon here on uh, Saturday in Tampa at Katie's dad's house. Uh, we had scheduled a guest preacher to come in this week while I'm on vacation, but 
uh, thought since we weren't meeting in person that it might be better for me uh, to go ahead and record a simple, less formal, not a full sermon for you this week, uh, but more of some reflections and thoughts on the passages from the lectionary. Uh, but God's Word is powerful in whatever form we receive it, and I hope that the reflections that I have prepared for you uh, this week are uh, encouraging to you as we enter into this season of Advent to be preparing for the coming of the Lord. Not just the coming of the Lord that we celebrate at Christmas, though it's fantastic to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus to his uh, mother Mary and to Joseph who raises him as his father uh, as they go to, to Nazareth and uh, born in Bethlehem and all of the things that happen with that story, but also as we look forward to the return of Jesus, where he comes in glory to reign over the heavens and the earth. Uh, and Advent is a preparation for us uh, for both things. We prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but as we do that, we also turn our spirits towards the return of Jesus when he will come in all of his glory to all of the praise and honor of the whole world to set everything right. Uh, and this week, the passages from the lectionary are oriented much more towards uh, the second coming of Christ than to the first. You've already heard uh, Brittany and Kent and their family share with you from 1 Corinthians, so we won't read that passage again. But we will read from the Psalms, uh, we will read from the prophet Isaiah, and we will read from the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, so our first, our first uh, lesson this morning comes from the Psalms from Psalm 80, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then the last couple of verses in Psalm 80 as well. I invite you to hear this word. Let's pray as we prepare to hear it. Almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth, we ask that you would speak to us. I ask that you would speak uh, through my words today, and I ask that you would visit us uh, wherever we are listening or watching, that you would bless us with your presence and with your power as we await for your arrival in glory. We pray that even our time today would be preparation for us to be ready for your coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear this word from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And from the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 17. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64 and verses 1 through 9. Hear this. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to adversaries, 
so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you are angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Our last reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through the end of the chapter. Hear this word. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware. Keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How long? That's the question that the psalmist asks. How long until you hear our prayers, O Lord? And this question, how long, is fundamentally the question of Advent. And if there's any question that characterizes 2020, it's the question, how long? How long will the pandemic last? How long do we have to wear masks? How long until we can get everything back to normal? How long until we have a vaccine? How long until we know for sure who the president is going to be? How long? How long? And this question, how long, it, it comes with... Even though it's only two words, it packs a lot in to the question. The first thing that it communicates is a bit of impatience. 
If nothing else, just because what we're waiting for hasn't yet arrived, but maybe we ask that question especially when we're suffering, when life has been tumultuous, when the world has been full of turmoil, when it's been characterized by suffering, when our lives have not been as we want, we're inclined to ask how long. And normally when we when I talk about this passage, I talk about a road trip or waiting in a doctor's office where you feel helpless. You can't do anything to make things pass any faster. You can't do anything aside from wait. Wait to arrive. And in this case, what we're waiting for is not our arrival, but the arrival of the Lord. And so we indicate by that question some impatience, uh, some suffering, some desire for, for things not to be as they are right now. But there's another thing that the question communicates too. And it's that whatever future is ahead of us, we think will be better than the future that is now. So it is a question rooted fundamentally in hope, despite the way that it starts with grief or suffering. How long, O oh Lord, indicates that things will get better on the other side. And we see this in uh, the passage from the Psalms. We see it also even in this passage from Mark, this passage about the end of the times when uh, everyone will be afraid, when lots of things will fall apart. But the turn that it makes is that when the Son of Man comes, he will come in glory and power to gather up those whom he has called out from all over the world, from the heavens and from the earth, from the four corners of the earth, he will gather them together into his kingdom. That means that our question, how long, is fundamentally oriented towards hope and not towards disappointment. The disappointment is now, in the present. Things are difficult in the present. That doesn't mean that things are going to get worse when Jesus comes back. When God comes, as the psalmist uh, says it in the psalm over and over again, his refrain is, show us your face and we'll be saved. When God arrives, it's good news. But that's not the way it always gets communicated, even by some Christian preachers. And I know that you guys have been thinking and talking about these things, at least some of you, because you've asked me about this. You've asked me about folks who've been making predictions about what's going to happen next in world politics. You've asked me questions about uh, what it's going to mean when, uh, when Jesus returns. And what I want you to see in these passages today is that a lot of times when those passages get talked about, they get talked about in a reverse way from how people of God should think about them. And that happens in a few different ways. Uh, one is that they get really specific with their predictions. You should always be skeptical. If someone is talking about scripture and they think they know is it exactly what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. In this passage from Mark, Jesus says that he doesn't know, that the angels don't know, that only God knows uh, the day that the, all of this is going to come to be. So if you hear someone saying that they know or they think they know, then they don't know what they're talking about. And you should be really skeptical of what it is that they have to say. Another thing that happens is that we become a little bit too locally focused, especially as Americans. We can get too locally focused in these questions. There are constantly wars and disputes and overthrows of government and famines and plagues and pestilence and, and all kinds of stuff that happens in other parts of the world that doesn't make us ask these kinds of questions about is the world coming to an end. 
So we have to be careful not to be too nearsighted about what it is uh, that, that, the, that the scriptures say about the coming of Jesus. Uh, because if we get so focused on the bad things happening in our world, then we start looking at those things instead of asking this fundamental faithful question that scripture seems to be constantly asking when the world is not as it should be. How long? And when we do that, we expose something about the comfort of our lives that we think that the present world is actually potentially better than the world that is coming for us. And the only, the only possibilities of that are that we think too highly of the present world, and maybe we're not mindful enough of the needs of others, of the suffering of others, and the grief of others, such that we think that everything is as it should be right now. Um, that's one possibility. Or the other possibility is that we've lost sight of how good God is and how powerful God is and what it will mean for God to really and truly reign over the entire universe as it should be, for God to rule in power and glory and might over the whole world. And that's what we're waiting for as we ask this question, how long? So uh, the psalmist asks this question, uh, how long, O Lord, until you hear your people's prayers? How long until you turn your ear and listen to us and come and save us? How long until you show us your face so that we might be saved? And Isaiah gives real beautiful content to this desire. What he says is, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Just, just open the veil that separates the heavens from the earth and step into the world. And when you do that, the earth is going to shake and all the kindling, the dead stuff is going to burn up. And we're going to see your deeds in the same way that the people of old saw your deeds. Just like the people of Israel saw you deliver them out of Egypt by means of the ten plagues and carry them across dry land through the Red Sea, just like you gave them victory in battle after battle, so too will we see your power and your glory. And he says, you're the potter and we're the clay. You are our father. And the, the clay waits to be shaped by God. And what, what Isaiah says is that the Lord works while we wait. Waiting is the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing because it means that all of the other activity is beyond our control. If we could do something, we would. But instead, the season of Advent is one of waiting. One of trusting that God is at work one of abiding in the hope that God has for us and looking forward to that even more strongly than we see the pain of the world as it exists right now. How long, O oh Lord, until you come and save your people? So the invitation in all of this we read in the Gospel of Mark is to be ready, which requires constant vigilance, a, a state of constant preparation. Jesus says, you don't know if it's going to be at dusk or in the evening or at midnight or at dawn. You don't know what time of day or when it will be that he's going to come back. You can look for the signs. The fig leaf puts out, the fig tree puts out its leaves at only certain times of the year. So you can be aware that Jesus is returning. And he says it's going to be soon. It's going to be imminent. And this is something that the church has believed for 2,000 years, that it's coming soon. 
And it's hard to maintain vigilance. It's hard to maintain readiness for that period of time. We're inclined to ask how long. But even as we ask that question, we have to remember that we're called to be prepared. And there is an invitation to repent bound up in this passage, to make our ways right with the Lord, to lean into God's grace and mercy as we are aware that our righteousness, our righteous works are like dirty rags to the Lord, that we can't earn God's love or favor or goodness, but he offers it to us anyway. He comes anyway, and he shows us his face, and he saves us. And that's deeply good news for us today. The best is yet to come. The best isn't behind us uh, in pre-pandemic times or anything else. The best is not now. The best is yet to come. And we don't know the answer to how long. We don't know how that will play out. But we do know that what is ahead of us is worthy of our hope because it is characterized by the God the only God that anyone in the world has ever known because all of the other gods are false. But this God, when he tears open the heavens and comes down and returns, it will mean good things for his people. Since we've got just a little more time left, I thought we'd share this message from Advent last year with you. It's such a delight to hear the congregation uh, laughing and engaging in person with us in worship, and we long for that to come soon. Some of you, as you came in this morning, said, uh, Brother Chad, what, what exactly is the definition of a homily? And I said, it's a sermon, but shorter. <laughs> no, I'm supposed to, take, supposed to sigh a little bit in relief as I, as I say that. A part of the purpose of our service today is to remember that there are more than one way. Uh, there are more than one way, is that right? I don't know. There's, there is more than one way, there we go, uh, to proclaim the gospel. Uh, and one of those ways is through the symbolism that fills our church. Our stained glass windows declare the gospel to you as the light shines forth through them. Our decorations do that. The movements of our worship do that. You yourselves do it as you pray and sing and sit and stand and participate in the church's praise of God. Together we proclaim the glories of God. And so because of that, and because another way that we encounter the truth of the gospel is around the table as we break bread and share in communion, uh, is that we're going to do that today too. And so all of these activities are as important or maybe even more important than what I have to say to you today. So we're giving those things more attention than we usually do, and I'll speak for less time than I usually do. But doesn't the church look nice now? The garland and the wreath, the advent wreath, the not plain colors up here in the front. The Christmas tree is lit. It's time for advent, right? Starting to feel like Christmas is going to come. As we transition away from Thanksgiving and into Christmas more rapidly, it seems like, than we usually do each year with Thanksgiving being so late, it is a good time for us to step back and remember what it is that we're waiting for. And the greenery reminds us of the eternal life of God that's brought to us in the, in the person of Jesus 
All of the candles and the chrismon tree remind us of the light of Christ. The chrismon tree also has a representation of the Christian year on it. Uh, so if you want to come and, and figure out how the Christmas year is, uh, is portrayed up there. But today is the first day of the Christian year. Did y'all know that? Happy New Year! I know y'all are going to say that more excitedly on uh, December 31st or January 1st or around there, but, but it is the beginning of a new year for the church, and we start the year by waiting. One of my favorite lines in all of our, our tunes and, and carols and hymns about Christmas is that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a strange thing to say about a, a little baby, right? So what I want to help you think about today is I'm going to hold my hands out, and y'all tell me to stop when I get as big as God is. Y'all are laughing at me. How big is God? Big, bigger than me, right? Amen. Well, that's true, and there's a mystery that happens. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, Katie and I got to spend more time with my six-week-old nephew. I'll show you pictures if you want to see him. Uh, his name is Eli, and he's about this big. And what we believe happens at Christmas time is that the God of the universe, who's far bigger than any of us, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, doesn't just take on human form, but becomes a baby. A baby that needs to be fed by others, a baby who didn't have diapers but who needs to be changed regularly, a baby who's going to cry and sleep and need to be cared for by parents. I could have asked you the same question about how strong is God, and the answer would be way stronger than you, Chad, but that God comes in the form of a baby, vulnerable and weak and in need of the power of others to care for him. That's what we are preparing for. And it's a tremendous miracle. Uh, the miracle of Easter when Jesus rises from the dead, the miracle of, of Jesus' ascension into heaven, all of the healings and raising from the dead that Jesus does through his ministry, those things are easy to see and maybe even easier to understand. But one of the ways that uh, Charles Wesley describes what happens at Christmas is that the God of the universe contracts into a span, which is your hand, right? You could hold the Son of God in your hand. That's what Mary and Jesus did. God became vulnerable so that he might experience all that there is to experience as a human, that he might live a sinless life, that he might die on our behalf and rise again, and ascend into heaven so that we could join him in his peaceful and just and righteous reign. And this little vulnerable baby that we're waiting to be born, in this one rests the hopes and fears of all the years. They all meet together in this child that we are waiting to see born. And as we wait as the people of God, we're called to prepare ourselves for that. Uh, when my brother and sister-in-law were getting ready to have Eli, they did a lot of nesting, right? They painted, they uh, redecorated, they made sure that everything was just so. And um, 
my sister-in-law's sister came in and she was like, take a picture of it before he comes because it's never going to look like that again. But we get ready for the coming of children. We, need to, we, we, have a, we have a need to know that we are as prepared as possible for their arrival. And the invitation in Advent, as we wear these penitential colors, as we pray prayers of confession, as we light candles progressively, seeing the light break forth through the darkness, is to make sure that we ourselves are ready for the coming of the Lord. So as you make all of your preparations for the holidays, as you make menus, as you do your shopping, as you wrap presents, as you do all of the things that kind of wrap around Christmas, make sure that you are doing the hard work of preparing your soul for the, one of the greatest miracles that the world has ever known, that the hopes and fears of all the years, that all of the prophecies and promises of God to the people of Israel throughout the generations come to their fulfillment in this baby boy born to Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem in the middle of nowhere, surrounded only by family and animals. Remember that God has come to save you. And take these few short weeks to make sure that you are ready for the coming of the King.